Within the concern, controversy, and chaos of inflation, and the rising prices of all our commercial goods from oil to food, people are discussing financial policies to combat inflation, such as changes to interest rates or loan structures. But perhaps the better question to prevent further inflation is why did the inflation happen in the first place? Food was one of many things that was impacted very hard by inflation. But what good is a fiscal policy when the issue lies in food production? Climate change hasn't only led to more natural disasters, rising sea levels, and melting glaciers. It's also damaged crops and overall made food production a far harder task. Global supply chains suffer when local food sources are constantly facing climate change. So why hasn't this been talked about more? Well, today we try to change that. I'm Jun Kim, and welcome to another discussion on the sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about food price inflation and climate change is Eric Shingleton-Smith, a Master's of Management student at the Schulich School of Business and one of our Science for Everyone researchers. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me, June. It's great to be on my first ever podcast with Science for Everyone. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here because the topic today is quite an interesting one. And it's about why food inflation is so bad, first of all, but the interesting angle of why climate change might be a factor. But before we even get into the climate change aspect of it, I wanted to ask you, how bad is the current situation with food inflation? And what do you think are some of the large contributors to food inflation? Because I'm sure there's multiple reasons it's happening. For sure. So if you look at actually uh, Canada's Food report uh, done by Guelph and it's compiled by a few other universities like Dalhousie. Uh, food inflation last year was quite bad, <laughs> like somewhere around like five to ten percent. It's expected to go a little higher uh, this coming year, or maybe around ten percent as well. So it's quite bad for sure. Right. And they attribute a lot of factors to that because food inflation is this problem defined as the overall increase in food prices, and essentially means like your money is worth less when buying food. So, you know, you could buy can of beans for $1.99. Well, now that's like that same can of beans will cost like, what, say like two fifteen or something. Um, when it comes to the broader uh, reasons why food inflation occurs, it's like how inflation unfortunately can affect everything. It's ultimately comes down to supply and demand. So it just so happens we are in quote, unprecedented times and so many things are being messed with on the global levels, macro levels, all being, you know, spurred by the pandemic, but even now, like, geopolitical factors. But what initially can cause food inflation is labor shortages. So the pandemic caused a major labor shortage. So people are getting sick, can't go to work. Uh, people also, I guess, for societal reasons, are kind of getting fed up. They're doing certain jobs, and, you know, they're not so happy with working, like, crap wages in, say, like, a food distribution facility or on a farm or even just in other areas that are in like the supply chain. So you have that, meaning less production, either at farms, in you know, warehousing, distribution, retailers. So that means less outflow of food products. That's a big one. So companies are struggling to find that gap being filled. So that's a big one. <laughs> another one is, you know, pandemic it started and then now it's getting worse with geopolitical issues, especially with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Is oil prices have gone up a ton. And I know, right. you know I'm pretty sure everyone, everyone is against, you know, broad use of oil. But unfortunately, the world's economy is, is extremely dependent on it. And the thing about oil is it's, you know, used to manufacture 
plastic. It's used to fuel, you know, tankers. I mean, it needs to be refined in natural gas first, but still, if you don't have oil, you can't have natural gas. But it's used to fuel tankers, trucks, trains. Um, unfortunately, it's a big reason behind power supplies. So when that goes up in price, well, guess what? Fuel prices go up. And then those tankers that bring food to X, Y, and Z, those trucks, those trains, it costs more now. And actually, I'm just wrapping up an operations class. My professor it was a 20-year veteran for Canada Pacific Rail, huge shipping logistics company for North America. And he said, unfortunately, because of geopolitical tensions, like we hit like a major apex in oil prices. So when oil hits $100 a barrel, it really, really screws up supply chains because the cost is so high. So people have to brace for that, you know, pay less or hire less. So in the grand scheme of things, it's more expensive to ship food. Uh, it's more expensive to just get staff. And then you yeah, have geopolitical tensions like um, Russia's major Ukraine. Like it just so happens those two areas are huge wheat producers. So then during this war, unfortunately, a lot of uh, laborers lost to plant wheat. And then that means a lower wheat supply. So in the very basics of economics, have you ever taken like an intro econ course? Yeah, yeah. I, I've learned about the basics of supply and demand for sure. Perfect. I'm, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people don't understand these days, but just if you produce less wheat, less crops, less cereals, guess what? There's going to be a higher price and the demand is going to stay the same. Right. So that's a big one. And the last thing I'll throw in is because cereals are the base of not just how we eat, but it's also in additives and also major feed. You know, if grain, corn, soy are lower in supply, that means less to feed to cows, less to feed to pigs and chickens. That'll bring up those prices as well. Right. And unlike other commodities, commodities, I'm sure like food is something that always has consistent demand because we need food to live, right? So, you know, since the demand always stays the same, it's it's just really the, the supply that really affects how much these prices go up or down. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk now and transition into a little bit of climate change. So how big of a factor would you say climate change is to this entire equation? And what do you think that climate change means or in terms of impacting farmers and the food industry at large? So according to Canada's uh, most recent food price report, uh, climate change is now the largest factor and uh, was one of the largest last year. And they're predicting it's going to be the largest one. Uh, for years to come, uh, which is not exciting. So its impact ultimately sort of leads to the same results when you have like oil prices rise, labor shortages, geopolitical tensions, it will mess up the amount of supply. So droughts, the obvious means less water, so less harvest. It also means the quality of crops that goes out is worse. You can have also major changes in temperature. So like, for example, Warm areas might get hit by cold fronts. That can really screw up output. Another example is, say, um, the annual temperature changes are needed for certain types of crops, so actually peaches. So <laughs> everyone calls Georgia the peach state of America, but actually the most peaches in the U.S. Are come from California. Oh, but I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so Justin Bieber's wrong. He says he gets his peaches down in um, Georgia, and he gets his weed from California, but actually... He gets his weed and his peaches from uh, California. Um, <laughs> but uh, peaches actually need a certain amount of frost to bloom properly. I guess it's related to like, um, you know, the molecular clocks that all organisms have because they need it to know when it's right to bloom. They, they're just from millennia of evolution. 
well, shorter cold fronts can screw that up. And that means worse harvest. So it's really messing up with not just like biological clocks of plants, it's hurting um, the quality, their output. And then also when you have less water, you do have to have like smaller herds of cattle. You can't produce as much crops. And uh, another interesting fact, the world's largest supply of peas actually comes from the Canadian prairies. Uh, but this summer, they had a very bad drought. They've actually had a bad drought the last few years. So the supply stayed the opposite less. So if you look actually at Beyond Meat burgers, um, I don't know how much you eat them, but they actually have gone up in price because they're mostly pea-based protein. So that's really hurting <coughs> supplies and annual crop yields. But then, unfortunately, it really takes a toll on farmers because they're getting less harvest. They're getting paid less. And sometimes they're even like, getting almost nothing at all. And it's you know, factors they can't control. Right. And I guess it's very simple. It's just climate change is creating more natural disasters. It's making, you know, like all life harder to survive. And like the crops are, the crops are dying, harvest is smaller. So yeah, I, I can definitely see how climate change is playing a big role here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, since climate change is a global issue, and this is something that's happening in every pocket of the world, uh, taking more of a global perspective, then, what do you think this means for the global supply chain for food? Like, can I not get my bananas or, or pineapples anymore, or will I have to pay like ludicrous amounts of money for them? Um, so it really means a major screw up for the global supply chain because um, going into like very macro levels, some people are saying how just with all the unprecedented events with COVID and now like major geopolitical tensions, and also even like you're having like a rise in. Um, populist like leaders around the globe who are like making more um, impulsive and uh, radical changes to say like trade policies. And I mean, I'm going to stay like as nonpartisan as possible. But for example, Donald Trump put a ton of tariffs just impulsively on countries. And like, for example, he just out of the blue wanted to just throw a tariff on Mexico just because he could. Um, and then to answer the question, when he threatened to do that, this was early in his presidency, like Chipotle, the company said, listen, if that happens, we're going to have to raise the prices a lot. And like a lot of our items are unique to like Tex-Mex food. So we're, it's going to screw up our supply. And for example, Mexico is the world's largest, the, uh, largest supplier of avocados. So like if you just throw like a, a wrench into the gears there, like that's going to hurt the entire <laughs> world supply of avocados. And actually uh, right now, this is less about climate change, but there's an avocado trade ban uh, by the U.S. for Mexico. Oh, I see. Um, you heard about that? Yes, I think I saw it in the news, but I didn't really get all the details. Uh, just very briefly, it's because demand is so high, and I guess you know millennials buy avocado toast in Canada houses, according to um, some scholars. You say, <laughs> but just the demand is so high um, that like avocado farmers couldn't keep up, and I kid you not, the cartel got in on it because they thought, okay, well, it's a great cash grab. Oh, wow. And the cartel brought their practices to it. And I kid you not, they like started like trafficking humans to work on quite literal plantations, like quite literally had slave labor, like people captured working for free. Um, there was like massive like gang wars and you'd see like you know, bodies hung off like highways and like, oh my God, more drug violence. Like, no, actually they're just fighting over who can sell avocados. Um, but uh, it's quite literally, yeah. And then it just climaxed where a U.S. food inspector um, was threatened by some avocado sellers in Mexico and was very confused as to why. And then after taking a look, they realized that it's mostly <laughs> cartel ran, so they banned it. I mean, there's ethics behind it to make sense, but 
it like quite literally spiked um, avocado prices in the U.S. Um, but just going back to the big picture of supply chains and how it's going to affect that is when you have rising temperatures or like changes in um, cold fronts or like seasonal weather events, it will affect how much and when you get certain crops. So like um, Arabica coffee beans, the most common strain of coffee, most comes from Brazil. But then Brazil sometimes will get cold fronts and that actually really hurt coffee supplies. And that's just not going to stop happening. Brazil also faced drought. So Brazil is a very large producer of soy, um, same with corn as well, and beef. Same thing, massive droughts, less output. That means you can't feed cows as much. That affects meat prices, meat prices. And then Canada, see the office prairies, wheat, peas, lots of cereals. So then what that means is in a broad scale, like a lot of these crops are eating worldwide. So a lot of people are theorizing that when Russia and Ukraine have a lower wheat harvest in this coming summer, that actually mostly goes to the global south. And you'll see, unfortunately, unprecedented food shortages in a lot of low-income countries. So <laughs> that is really screwing up supply chains. And then you have countries at war, countries throwing tariffs and sanctions, um, which doesn't help it at all. But yeah, you're going to see a lower supply. You're going to see inconsistent production. And then that's going to affect, say, unemployment. So the last thing I was going to say also is going bigger in the political picture, not taking partisan stances. Uh, with all this stuff happening lately, a lot of people are thinking that the age of globalization is ending, where we're so, so heavily intertwined um, in countries. Like you, like someone would fish for, say, um, king crab in Alaska. he get frozen on board sent to China where it's packaged, sent back to the U.S. where it's sold because uh, it's the cheapest. But now because of all this crap, a lot of people are expecting more governments to invest in supply chains internally so that they don't face these like serious uh, fluctuations. So we're, we're in a big, heavy transition, and unfortunately, it's going to be uh, very difficult. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Right. And this is another good reason that global warming that or, or climate change in general that happens in other parts of the world affects us, too, because it will affect our ability to import their food or any products they have. Yeah. So as a final little call to action, what this seems like a very overwhelming issue for a lot of people as well. Like, what, what can we do? So, so I asked, the, I put the question to you. What are some things that we can do as individual consumers to try and be more responsible either with food consumption or even as it pertains to climate change related to food production? Yeah, so a uh, very good question. It's unfortunately very hard to do as a consumer. That doesn't mean you're powerless. So a big one in Canada's food, food price report does recommend it is try to buy as much local food as possible. Granted, you know, you shouldn't be like breaking the bank for you know, absurd stuff, but we're very lucky, especially in Canada, that we are a large food supplier. Um, I mean, you're in Alberta, so there's a lot of cereals that come out of there. But Ontario, it happens to be a, a variety like strawberries, you know, tomatoes, all that stuff. Even actually, uh, lentils are grown in Canada as well. So we're lucky for that. So I would strongly encourage uh, when you go to the grocery store, look for Canadian-grown uh, crops. Like uh, I live near Loblaws, and they will have a sign saying like Ontario grown. That makes a big difference because not only supporting like local Canadian farmers, but also on a climate impact wise, there's less transportation costs, um, less like greenhouse outputs for these places. Because usually, like you know, small time farms, 
And also typically they're a little more friendly on water usage. Another thing is there are foods you can buy that are less impactful on climate change, a little more hardy. So for example, lentils are seen as quite a robust food. Uh, it just so happens that a ton of lentils are grown in the Canadian prairies, which is great. Uh, they need quite a low amount of water. And they're also extremely healthy. Legumes are a very healthy food. So I very much recommend trying to eat more legumes, definitely for the health, but also because they're typically more friendly for water and energy output. And then also get them from Canada, so just much shorter supply chain. So that's a big one. Uh, really, really, really try to keep your food waste as low as possible. So <laughs> when you buy food, please, please, please make sure you eat it all. Uh, make sure you know it's in the fridge. I'm unfortunately a victim of someone who buys something. Eat some, buy those stuff, pushes the one in the back of the fridge, forgets it's there, <laughs> and then it goes bad and it's thrown out. Um, that's a huge loss, especially in the carbon cycle, because, you know, you grow crops, they absorb carbon, um, you eat them, then the carbon goes into you. But if you throw it out, it's going to go back in the atmosphere. That's a bad one. Um, so as an individual consumer, it's a big one. Also, like, definitely try compost. Um, if you live in a city that's, uh, you know, involving composting in their, like, waste disposal, that's a big one as well. That just helps uh, maintain the carbon cycle a little healthier and a little better. And then also, this is more on the bigger scale, but uh, there's an encouragement for farmers to use more sustainable soil practices. So unfortunately, some crops, they're what you refer to as monocultures. So crops that are just grown, just at one species, like over thousands of hectares, so like soy is one, corn is one. And the issue is, is that they're A, poor pollinators, they don't flower much. Uh, B, they don't have very strong roots, so they don't help uh, with erosion prevention. And then that can really affect the ecosystem on a large scale. So try to avoid things like corn or soy. I mean, it, it's better than, I say, animal products. So that's another big one. Just try to avoid animal products as much as possible. Um, they're the most prone to food inflation, very bad for the environment. But a lot of monoculture, like soy, feeds these animals like in mass herds, but also has some detrimental effects. So uh, one thing people don't realize is Cows, you know, people know there's a lot of rainforest deforestation in the cell for cows, but a lot of it also is quite living to grow soy, which is feed cows. Um, so that's worth keeping in mind as well. But I guess, say, the top ones are make sure you compost, make sure that compost is disposed properly, eliminate your food waste as much as possible, buy as much local produce as you can that won't hurt your budget, and yeah, try to eat more sustainable foods like legumes. Um, lentils and that such awesome there's it sounds like there are, are a lot of things that we can do even if it is a small contribution and thank you so much for your awesome insights eric yeah yeah thank you so much as well june i'm glad to expand on this topic and i'm glad to give you a platform so all the best june and thank you again for tuning in and remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about climate change or food production or any of the other topics we've talked about on the show, visit, visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at sci for everyone and on our website at www.scienceforeveryone.ca. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, and Thaneshwari Rajendran. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant.